0: Welcome to Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast about entrepreneurship-led economic development. Here is your host, David Ponraj, founder and CEO of Economic Impact Catalyst.
1: Today, we're speaking with Dr. Sabrina Robbins. Welcome Dr. Robbins to our show.
0: Thank you so much, I'm glad to be here.
1: We've gotten to know each other over the past couple years, please share with our audience what it is that you do and the geographies that you cover.
0: Sure. Uh, I guess in a nutshell, I'll say what I do is connect uh, people with opportunities that ordinarily wouldn't have them. And I specifically focus on um, a population of our society that's marginalized, overlooked, and made to feel unwanted in uh, the workplace. And at the same time, work with companies that have a need to uh, have workers and feel that there is a labor shortage. So working to be that bridge and that connector to help people get ready for the jobs that are available, and then work with companies to increase their sense of belonging and inclusion as a way of addressing negative turnover that we're seeing.
1: So tell me a little bit about your nonprofit work uh, around uh, African heritage, hidden talent, some of the work that we've been partnering with you all. And uh, also if you could add to that, what got you into this extremely hard work that uh, sometimes seems so thankless, uh, you know, endless hours. What got you into this in the first place? Is it you know, was it from something you saw your parents do? Is this something you learned at school? What is your inspiration behind this work?
0: My uh, inspiration is really around my own personal origin story. So I'm uh, was an orphan. So uh, I grew up in foster care and was in foster care pretty much from the time I was uh, an infant until I was seven to eight years old. And it took the system nearly two years to even find who my mother was. So growing up, I was a ward of the state. And with that understanding of people not having what they need, and sometimes it's not through the fault of their own and I have been very fortunate and blessed in my life to have the very best of what foster care offer um and to grow up safe in my home and to have the support that I needed and so being African American myself being part of the marginalized being identified as at risk myself is something that um I personally experienced and have devoted my life to being the kind of person and offering up resources that I myself needed and was provided to me. And I want a chance to provide that to others. I do that work in every aspect of my life. I am on the board of African Heritage, Inc., and that mission is to advance the well-being of Uh, African-Americans and Blacks here in Northeast Wisconsin where I live, in Appleton. And um, I was a Girl Scout troop leader and I sold the cookies with the uh, troop and I wanted a chance to give back. I was an avid um, fan of Girl Scouts, a member of it. And so in every area of my life to give from a uh, professional standpoint, I've held a position to support supplier diversity, to help individuals that uh, wanted to, you know, have better careers. In 2020, as we went through the racial reckoning, we went through the pandemic, I just was compelled and saw that too many people in our society are being left behind. And uh, it. It went beyond color. I just saw everyone hurting, and so those of us that have the skill, the education, the heart, and the experience, it was time to step up a little more. And so I uh, left my corporate job to serve full time in my mission to help those that are marginalized, overlooked, and made to feel unwanted, and they need a second chance, and sometimes a third and fourth. And I'd like to do that and partner with others that share in that vision to have a better world.
1: Let's go a little bit deeper into that kind of inspiration to want to serve people. Some of this work is extremely hard because a lot of the times it's underfunded. A lot of the times we don't understand what it is like to serve. And people that put these programs together don't have the understanding of the reality on the ground and watching you closely has taught me how to kind of bridge that gap between the funders and the people actually doing the work talk to me a little bit more about what keeps you going when sometimes it seems so hard to do this work i you know know your background around you know your own personal origin story but are there ways in which you help uh, people that are funders or organizations that support this work better understand how to do this work or to give them an understanding of why those barriers exist in the first place?
0: Uh, Yes. Uh, The first thing is staying in community and knowing and earning the trust of the target community that you're looking to serve. And so those of us that are fortunate enough to serve on boards and be leaders, but a servant leader is also part of that community in making sure they understand the needs and not being afraid to interact with the target population that you serve. So working with the most vulnerable, if you're having events, make it be part of that grassroots part of the organization that is also out there so that they see your face. And it makes a difference when I take my time to go out to the streets, to go to the neighborhoods, to authentically interact and have compassion, empathy, and also the opportunity to open myself up to learn from their perspective what the needs are. And it's not enough to rely on studies that we read that's a good source. But in terms of fully understanding the importance of having FaceTime and listening in a way that is respectful, compassionate, and a mindset that at any time that could be you. And with this pandemic, many people lost the jobs and they had to make choices and maybe sometimes accept a level of help and aid that they never in their life thought that they would that they would have. And so grassroots and authentically serving and willing to speak up. Being an ally that speaks up and not sit quietly in meetings and when decisions are made, be the voice of not only reason but also compassion. In understanding the nature and the spirit of the work that we're engaging in to help people get a boost in life, get to the next step, and whatever you can do to address any structural barriers, to call that out and be an agent of change in that organization.
1: Yeah, I've seen you up front uh, do that so well, uh, because when somebody goes to do or create a and I program the the people that are creating these programs don't very often know what the true challenges are right and we try to create the same success metrics you would for any program let's talk about let's say specifically workforce development in workforce development we measure in along the same lines like you know jobs created but when you go into a community that has been traditionally marginalized, that might not be the right metric. And without like a voice of yours talking about, well, they don't have an email address, a job is great, but how can we first get them to the starting line before we take them to the finishing line, right? Like yes. they're not in the starting line. We, we assume that, how, how do you be an advocate for them without alienating the people that are creating these programs, right? Because it takes a certain kind of tact to appreciate that there is investments in this space, but at the same time, it's more about the lessons than anything else.
0: Yes. And I find, um, you know, workforce development boards and others that uh, are part of that ecosystem genuinely want to help. And so our way is to, Uh, I'd like to adopt the freedom within the framework, understanding where the funding is coming from, understanding the rules of that funding, and finding a way to collaboratively work with the state agencies and the workforce development boards uh, to find um, innovative ways to support I don't think people are in organizations are purposely trying to hurt folks. I think it's, they don't know. This is the importance of diversifying your board, diversifying partners that you work with that can bring you information that you ordinarily wouldn't have because you don't have a natural uh, bridge, you don't have the uh, authentic relationship with the very populations that you wish to seek and the understanding that you are not starting at the start line. You are well behind the start line. And so uh, under, there's a term called meaningful skill gain. Meaningful skill gain traditionally means a job, but if if they have funded a digital literacy program then a meaningful skill gain should also be I've increased the um, digital literacy of something. It may take longer to get that job because there may be additional uh, structural barriers that keep you from getting the job within the grant time period. And so understanding how to work. We really need each other, and it isn't a call-out session. It's a let's get closer. Here are the resources that I have. What do you have? What do we need? Are we missing partners? Are we willing to increase our partner network so that we can all do the work that we feel we're called to do?
1: Can you talk to me about some stories of people that are doing it really well in this space. Maybe it's in Wisconsin, where you're based, or you've seen people do it nationally. Uh, give us some kind of color to to show how this can be done well.
0: What I'm experiencing now, what we're doing in Northeast Wisconsin, uh, we have a digital literacy uh, program that's funded by one of the local uh, workforce development boards. Our initial thought at program design is that, oh, we have the digital literacy. We're going to target Black and Hispanic uh, folks that are lower income or have been negatively impacted by COVID. Uh, on our studies, those groups were hit the hardest. And we looked around. We said, oh, it'd be good to uh, partner with the literacy councils. To provide this, what we found out once we move beyond program design into operations and in the field is we need additional partners. And we found churches and churches that have space in their facilities. And if we provide computers, then folks can go there because that's a natural place that they go at a set time, and what can we do? And so, again, partnering with the workforce development, while they did not uh, pay for the actual laptops because that is a rule of the grant, we found another partner, African Heritage, that had funding from a different grant to supplement And now African Heritage bought the church three computers so that members can now take digital literacy, take the soft skill classes where they are. Many of them did not have transportation or have schedules that meet the bus line. So that's an example of partnering, expanding the relationship prior to this Grant opportunity with the uh, Workforce Development Board, they had never partnered with African Heritage before. They probably never heard of African Heritage before. But this is an example of who works closest with the population and then having the leadership relationships to bring that and be able to craft and redesign a better fitting solution to help the very target people that all organizations have an interest in helping and supporting.
1: This is uh, a program that I'm really looking forward to seeing kind of in two years from now, the impact it's gonna have in truly helping, like you said, the hidden talent, people that traditionally have been forgotten and now will have the chance to kind of get their skills gains and be able to uh, actually have meaningful uh, employment.
0: I just wanted to say what makes this program uh, unique. We're working on it together. Is the use of a sustaining and broad uh, boundary spanning technology, so that when the grant period is over, we can continue the work because now we have optimized the process, expanded more stakeholders, given people more opportunities. The plan is to include our rural communities. Uh, We're finding that that is an underserved community as well and train more people on how to be proctors and deliver an online digital literacy program, which is very different than literacy. And so as we learn together, it's my hope that we'll be able to replicate this and help other communities that realize that the lack of sufficient digital literacy skills is a contributor to high unemployment and uh, negative uh, turnover rates because people don't know how to, one, apply for the jobs. Gone are the days of walking in with a paper application, right? And so you do need to be able to operate and use uh, the newer technology and devices that are out that go beyond a simple uh, mobile or cell phone.
1: Yeah, well said. Uh, Technology and innovation go hand in hand with change that you're trying to create uh, and sustainable uh, long-term change uh, that you're trying to create. Uh, Let's go a little bit deeper into some of the barriers to uh, helping people get on their feet. And this podcast, you know, is called "Breaking Down Barriers," and we invite esteemed guests like yours, Dr. Robbins, to help us understand. When you talk about other challenges that we would see in workforce development, what are some other innovative solutions that you're bringing to the mix to to consistently break down these barriers to people being able to get employment or even getting access uh, to these jobs? Sure.
0: Uh, The barriers are more complex than what we typically talk about. Uh, Most of the time, we focus on the individual. What can we do to help that individual, whatever? And that's important. But the individual is a member of society, is a member of our communities. And so all of us are contributing to that. We have some wonderful nonprofits that do outstanding work. We have some wonderful, informal community leaders that really have their finger on the pulse of communities, and they're not the folks that you typically would invite to the board meeting. They're not going to come to city council, but they're very integral to that very neighborhood. And if you had the authentic relationships, you would know who that I call Informal, influential community members. That may be the one that is babysitting the people. It's not an authorized daycare, but that's who's doing it. There's someone driving people to work because the others don't have cars. There's someone providing plates of food and selling dinners. So there's this uh, different economy and currency. That's going on to support people that have very little resources. We can formalize that, make it so that they can participate in the larger initiatives that are going on in cities and regions. Supporting the work of the nonprofits. Many of their work is underfunded, and companies have the resources to provide technical resources in addition to funding to help the the organizations know the latest and greatest uh, innovations that can make their organizations um, profitable and not operating in the red and updating their operations and how they, in efficiencies, so that they can spend less time on activities and more time serving. And then companies, companies really taking a look at their own cultures. What is that level of belonging? And being brave enough to have those, what we call, courageous conversations and deal with hiring managers that have high turnover. And instead of looking the other way, provide the additional coaching and training and support that that hiring manager may need. It may be be that he or she is understaffed. And what can we do to balance out workloads? Gone are the days where you're just offering two to three shifts, and then give you access to have more uh, opportunities for part-time workers or older workers. Uh, look at your staff. Like, can I have someone that have uh, some physical disabilities? Do I? Re- does everybody on the team need a forklift? Uh, certification if they're not going to be on the floor. So there's many things we can do to help on the corporate side, not only with culture, but look at how work is done. And then I'm really big on how do we uh, assess blue collar or entry level labor workers? We need to look at their abilities. And the abilities is not really based on what you did in the past, but what do you have uh, the natural inclinations for that we can apply skill building uh, methodologies for? And also if we're looking at workers from common sense, trainability, and work ethic. If you have those three things, that's a worker that's less likely to quit. And we cannot be in the habit of just hiring people that walk in the door because it's, uh, you know, recruiting day Wednesday. You come in the door, I you have a pulse. And by the time you get to the end of the table, hey, you have a job. You haven't done enough vetting to make sure that that is the right worker for you. And then you wouldn't be surprised that a day or two, is you get that first half paycheck and they're out of there. Because you did we didn't take the time to assess, so how we attain talent and assess talent is the key, but it is from a community standpoint and being and looking at people from that lens.
1: Wow, there's so many good things here that our practitioners can learn, especially you know in workforce devo- development. Let's talk a little bit about kind of you know the future of where nonprofits and uh, people that support nonprofits where it's headed. And could you give us some kind of tips around how you've been able to successfully fundraise uh, for the nonprofit and you've been able to kind of help uh, bring some investments into this community for somebody that's starting out and says, oh, my God, I've got lots of really uh, 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 big needs in my community and I want to bring some of these programs to my community. What are some things that you did early on? to help kind of set the stage for these investments from the workforce development boards?
0: Um, Some of the things I did early on is uh, I come from corporate myself. So the first thing I did was serve on boards. And when I said serve on boards, it's more than just attending the meeting, but being an ambassador and really understanding what that organization has to offer. It, and it starts by also uh, actively serving on committees. So you can be part of that work and have an understanding of what are some of the challenges with the organization. Uh, and then it means being involved in your, if you are from corporate, being involved from what does uh, corporate responsibility mean and sustainability or what we're saying ERG today. How can I influence that? and uh, get the understanding that all of it can't be done inside my corporate walls, that I need community. But the community also needs to know from a business standpoint, I do need to have financial goals. I have customers, I have to fill orders and I need to be profitable. I have a board. So it isn't about what I can do for free, but what can I give of value? And that value be able to Translate an understanding of not only financial value, but community values and sustainability. What the studies are showing uh, when you look at the millennials and probably now the Gen Zs is when they're looking at companies, they're looking at communities. And so, as companies, we have to be aware of what kind of communities we are doing business in. And instead of picking up and leaving, Make investments in that community, and so when it's time to look at where can I expand and what can I do, you don't have to excuse the community that you're doing business in, right? And so I see a lot of that, or uh, misleading people and saying the big city is closer than what it really is, right? That that's not what life is going to look like your professional worker workforce would just relocate and go somewhere else and say, this is not the community I want to raise my family in or I want to be a member of. So I think the understanding is that we are in an ecosystem. It is aligned. And we have the power to navigate in many networks to support and share and build the region. And it it comes from accepting your role that you have a responsibility to contribute to that community and contribute to that region.
1: Yeah, really, really well said. One other topic I want to quickly touch on is the idea of creating trust. And uh, without trust, there are no solutions, especially in communities that have been marginalized. And I've seen you do that so well, showing up to church events, showing up to the block party, showing up to the events that they really care about. Can you touch on that? Because I think that's like a secret sauce that a lot of our practitioners, especially the ones that are starting out, starting out early, you have to show up over and over and over again, because trust is not built in a single meeting. It, it's built in decades. Right. So talk to us a little bit about kind of when you talk about community service and what you all do so well, because showing up in that community is half that battle.
0: Absolutely. You're right. And building that trust, uh, it's earned uh, empathy and authentic engagement. And that means showing I'm going to say a word that's really uncommon in this, but it is showing love love for the person, uh, understanding and compassion of the condition, and the willingness to go there for them. So I, you know, you're right, David. Uh, I will go to church. I have a church I belong to. But if I'm recruiting for events, I want to show up to their church. And I find I have a good time. They know I'm not a member of the church, but the fact that I showed up and that I keep showing up for not only big things, but little things. So there's times in my local community, they'll call me and say, Dr. Robbins, I heard that there's uh earth, wind and fire coming to, I actually got this call. Uh, one, they have my phone number. I don't hide from my community members. They have my phone number. So they will email me, they will call and One guy wanted to go to our Performing Arts Center and get tickets to see the earth, wind, and fire. And I'm thinking, well, why didn't he call? But I'm like, well, I'm sitting here. I could call and ask about the ticket prices and go online and do all the things I would do for myself to make sure I got a good seat. And so I called them back and said, hey, here's the ticket range. What's your budget? Uh, I hold office hours in our mall. I just sit in the mall and they come up and they tell me things. Some of the things they're a little truthful about, but, (laughs) you know, like one, one, I'm not ashamed to say, you know, one person, you know, I said, Hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Get over here. What's going on with you? How come I haven't seen you? And he said, well, I OD'd. I said, you should retire from that. It's hard on the body and we really need you. And you can't, I said, I said, aren't you tired? And he's like, yeah. I was like, you shouldn't hang around those people that uh, have you make bad decisions. You're too important to us. So what that shows is I noticed that I hadn't seen him because we're in community. He knows that I care about him. And I want him alive. What I did not do was chastise him and make him feel bad. And then I asked, are you working? And he said, yes, I have a job now. He's a roofer. But he's really getting too old to be a roofer. And so I said, hey, well, is there something else you want to do? And he said, I do. I said, why don't you talk to me about it? And I just said, I'm not afraid of my people. And they come to African heritage events and I see them multiple times of the year and I've been doing it for years. But this is how we can be in community and advocate. And for me, it's a small thing, but it's a big thing, right, to them. And sharing these kinds of stories to give of ourselves. And it doesn't always take a lot and it isn't always money. But it's about showing that you care and that in your little area of influence can have a big impact on an individual, and in this case, a generational impact. I was able to help him and help his children by just speaking up and being
1: present. That's a really powerful story and such a great way to explain what building trust in the community is like. Uh, you know, what really showing up uh, is like. And it's not easy, right? It's taking time away from your family and your kids and your work. But if you want to build trust and make an impact, you got to show up. And uh, mm-hmm. and I've seen that firsthand with how impactful your work is. Um, so I have one last question. We've gone way over our time. This is such <laughs> a fascinating story. I feel like we got to bring you back for an episode too, because this is such great content. So. Uh, I I have one last question to wrap up this session. Uh, If you were speaking to uh, 19-year-old Dr. Robbins, right, what would you tell somebody coming into this work so that they can learn and build, maybe let's say not 19, let's say maybe 25 to 35, right? Mm -hmm. That's the age when they're deciding, is this work for me or not? Like, Mm -hmm. what what would you tell them? What should they focus on if they want to, get this journey right?
0: The number one thing I would focus on is is the understanding that the easy solution is rarely available. So the first thing in your mind, well, I don't understand why someone didn't do X, Y, and Z. Typically, X, Y, and Z is not there. I would also say, sharpen your expertise Take the time to be knowledgeable in your area that you are interested in. And being knowledgeable goes beyond reading. Being knowledgeable means also serving. And maybe your your first role in an organization is not leadership. It's serving on a committee, a subcommittee and authentically working yourself up through the ranks. What that does is give you the various skills you need in volunteer management versus the management skills you need for a profession. Uh, The other thing I would say is learn to ask for help. You are never going to have all of the answers by yourself. And teamwork really does make the dream work. And be a friend and be friendly. And more innovation will come to you by simply being a friendly, good, and honest, and trustworthy person. Anyone that's 25 and they're in a leadership position, it's expected that everybody is smart. That is expected, but to have the character and the interpersonal skills to get things done and to influence and have the resiliency and grit is what separates the mediocre from the exceptional.
1: Well said, wow. Uh, I could already see my, my 25 year old squirming <laughs> in his chair from <laughs> things that I should have known when I was uh 25. Well, me too, uh, me too. it has been, <laughs> yeah, it's been such an honor, Dr. Robbins, to have you on this show. Um, this is uh, a rare uh, conversation with somebody that's entrenched in both economic development and community development and that intersection. So thank you so much for your time. Can you just give us one last comment around if people had to follow your work and connect with you, what is the best medium? Uh, for them to connect with you? Sure. I uh, The
0: best medium is LinkedIn. And so I uh, respond to all of my LinkedIn requests. I check it and uh, will welcome that engagement and follow me on LinkedIn and invite me to follow you. We may have a chance to partner in the future. So I love to partner with people that share Uh, my same values and mission in helping people.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Robbins. We will add this in the show notes and we look forward to having you back on this show.
0: All right. Thank you so much. It was great seeing you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking Down Barriers, a podcast about entrepreneurship-led economic development. Special thanks to our renowned guests for joining us. You can find show notes, more episodes, send us ideas, and subscribe to our newsletter on our website, economicimpactcatalyst.com. Breaking Down Barriers is a presentation of Economic Impact Catalyst and is edited by Lauren Bernard. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Breaking Down Barriers, available for free wherever you listen to your podcasts.